0: This is East Carolina Offensive Coordinator Donnie Kirkpatrick. We are talking one of my favorite things, pirate football, on the sports objective.
1: Those friggin pirates! Welcome in to the Sports Objective, a very special show, as we're looking at two of uh, the 2023 uh, uh, campaign opponent preview, and uh, the man behind the scenes producing, and of course on air, he does it all, Bubba Rosenbaum, what's up dude?
2: Not a whole lot, Dave, uh, I'm excited to talk some pirate football, and I uh, caught up with Navy's first year head coach, and, that, and that's of course... Uh, Brian Newberry, um, very good conversation with him. Definitely go back and check that out on our YouTube channel. But Tonight, we're previewing games two and three. Um, First, we're going to be joined by the play-by-play voice of the Marshall Thundering Herd, Steve Cotton. And then during our second half hour, Adam Witten, the longtime play-by-play voice of the App State Mountaineers, will join us.
1: Absolutely uh, glad to have Steve. Uh, Welcome back, Steve Cotton, play-by-play voice of Marshall, the Thundering Herd, and Steve. Uh, so glad to hear your voice. I know you want to get a vacation in, but can't wait for college football in the fall. That's for sure. It uh, and Officially
0: for me, I'm a big baseball fan, college baseball fan. So after they wrap it up in Omaha, then I will uh, turn my attention full tilt into what's coming up in the college football season. Of course, yeah, July, uh, the time most of the radio guys can get
1: it a, little bit of vacation
0: as well but yeah as soon as they wrap up in Omaha I'll be full speed ahead toward the football season.
1: No doubt and before we get obviously you were very close to a dear friend of ours Jeff Charles play-by-play voice of the Pirates it's going to be interesting to see we had director of athletics John Gilbert for those uh, for East Carolina if you haven't heard that interview uh, you can hear that on our and uh, see that on our our YouTube channel and uh, Facebook archive but uh, Steve, uh, it's you. Never place a legend. Uh, I know how close y'all were, and uh, when I hear your name, I, I think about Jeff and miss him a lot. And uh, I know you guys are like me, uh, huge baseball, and Bubba's a big baseball fan too. And I know you, you guys had a love for, for the Reds. Was that right? Well, Jeff, uh, really the Detroit
0: Tigers. We, we uh, okay, it's Tigers. And, right. and now Jeff was a huge Reds fan from where he grew up in Pickwell, Ohio. Yeah. And uh, but, but the Tigers were kind of his second team as he uh, had a summer place. They spent a lot of the summer up in northern Michigan, which is where I'm from. So we uh, we chatted about the Tigers pretty regularly. I even to this day, something happens with the Tigers, good, bad, whatever. And my first thought is, man, I need to, to chat with Jeff about that. And it's still just uh, one of those things that doesn't uh, doesn't seem real
1: still. It really does, and they're going to – and as a matter of fact, I don't know if you know this or not, but they're going to honor him at the Marshall game, which is the first home game, but they're doing that on September 9th, so hopefully you can help out with that as far as uh, I know that uh, how close y'all were. The same, you know, we knew that at some point in the next couple years we would uh, not be able to hear his voice anymore, as I knew he would be retiring, but we were hoping that would be the case and not the way that things have turned out
0: yeah and uh yeah, I was talking about uh, Debbie, his wife, uh, let me know that uh, there were going to be some special things going on that weekend, and uh, she wanted to make sure I was involved in that as well. so yeah, that'll be a uh bittersweet time, but uh, you know, as you get farther away, you, you can spend more time thinking about the fun part of it and the good times you had rather than the shock of
1: uh, what happened this winter. No doubt, you. Bubba. You know, Bubba, they, uh, they're, I think they're doing a smart thing. I'll give credit to the administration because I'll pitch it to you, Bubba, after this, uh, the very fact that they're taking their time because you don't ever replace a legend like a Jeff Charles or Steve Cotton, guys that have been at school for
2: – Dave's battling some technical difficulties tonight. Um, I think he'll be back with us momentarily. But, um, you know, Steve, taking a look at the herd, obviously entering year three of the Charles Huff era, seven and six, nine and four. You know, what's the general consensus among the Marshall fan base um, entering year three of Coach Huff? Optimistic
0: in a word. The season uh, last year got off to the great start. Week two, you go to Notre Dame. You knock off the Fighting Irish in South Bend. And everybody was so excited about that. And then there was a letdown after that. You went on the road the next game, lost at Bowling Green. So that took some of the wind out of the sails. Stumbled for a couple of weeks and then had to make a uh, change at quarterback. Uh, You had the graduate transfer, Henry Columbia, led you to the win at Notre Dame, a top 10 team. He got banged up, and you had to go with a very inexperienced freshman by the name of Cam Fancher. And Cam didn't uh, put up huge numbers. It wasn't an amazing statistical year for him. But the job of a quarterback is to go out and win games, and Cam led Marshall to a 6-1 and record in his seven games as a starter, won the last five, including a bowl game victory in Myrtle Beach over the University of Connecticut. So you end strong. You have uh, confidence built up over a couple of years that Charles Huff and his staff are going to bring in talent and make you competitive, uh, even against pretty good competition. And the the five-game win streak at the end, that means people are feeling pretty good about things in Huntington.
2: And since you mentioned those numbers of Cam Fancher uh, over the second half of the season, uh, 131 out of 235 on 10 touchdowns, six interceptions, 55.7% completion percentage. And um, so tell us about Cam Fancher as a quarterback, because I know I heard some remarks from Coach Huff there with all three or four spring practices left when he did his – a press conference with the Sun Belt um, on YouTube and um, check that out uh, a little bit earlier today preparing for this interview and Coach Huff said make no mistake about it um, You know, going into camp Cole Pennington's competing but uh, it's Cam Fancher's job. Yeah he certainly earned it
0: with his performance and again you mentioned those passing numbers and they're solid and he uh, cut down on the mistakes as the year went on that's to be expected he uh, at the start He had played in every game, but it was, uh, he hadn't thrown a whole lot of passes until put in there as the starting quarterback. And so he was growing his game, but he is very athletic. He was the state of Ohio triple jump champion in high school. He has good speed. It's not blinding speed, but it's pretty good speed. And he's kind of slippery. And so you add that. To a growing passing game for him, and you might have something uh, pretty special open up. But again, he was a starter for just over half the season, and he ran for 466 yards and averaged about four and a half yards per carry. And when you talk about quarterbacks, that includes uh, the sack numbers get backed out of that as well. So he was effective on the ground. Marshall had a good running game, expects to have a good running game headed by uh, Rashina Lee, the tailback, and a veteran offensive line. Uh, four of the five starters are back from last season, and those guys really got a lot better as the year went on. Marshall's offensive line allowed more than 30 sacks in the first seven games of the season, allowed five sacks in the last five games as those guys got their feet under him. So I think the offense... Has uh, the potential there? The the basics are there to be pretty at least solid and probably better than solid with a team that was built around its defense, which was exceptional last year and lost several guys, but uh, should probably be pretty good again.
2: And if you're just tuning in, uh, we're joined by longtime play-by-play voice of the Marshall Thundering Herd, Steve Cotton, uh, talking about what will be game two for East Carolina after opening up at the Big House against the Michigan Wolverines. We'll return home for what will be a four o'clock kickoff against the Herd at dowdy Ficklin Stadium on ESPNU. And, uh, and Steve, uh, also um, hearing those remarks from Coach Huff, uh, you were just talking about some of the skill talent uh, that Cam Fancher has around him. Coach Huff was talking about a key loss or two at receiver, and he said, I know this sounds simplistic. He said, but the guys um, through 11 or 12 spring practices were catching the ball much better than they did um, in 2022.
0: Yeah, and you you lose as a uh, portal guy. The leading receiver last year was, and in fact, the last three years was Corey Gamage, big, strong guy. And uh, that's a loss. You got to replace uh, someone who led the team, but his numbers weren't huge either. 52 catches, about 15 yards of catch, six touchdowns. So it's, uh, you know, it's significant, but Marshall had spread it around so many different guys and many guys with experience who've made big catches and clutch situations do return. And so uh at- you mentioned the, just the fact that they were sure handed in spring practice and every time, every game, not even just sure handed, there were exceptional catches being made and that will, uh, you know, that helps an offense helps the quarterback out when he doesn't have to be perfect and uh, just uh, throw it out there and you can go up and make a play for him. And I, would not be surprised based on what I saw in the spring if Marshall has a little bit more of that happening this year.
2: And you talk about in 2022 how the uh, the second half of the season, the offensive line was significantly improved. And uh, I'm sure that was twofold, them making improvement and then having Cam Fancher on um, such a dual threat there um, and so mobile. So um, you know, tell us about the offensive line entering 2023. Um, do all those pieces or most of those pieces return?
0: Marshall has to replace the starting right tackle, two-year starting tackle, A guy named Kendrick Sartor graduated, but the other four positions have uh, have the starters back. They now they uh, at left guard, there were two guys who rotated. They, in fact, they each started six of the twelve games, and they all, each rotated within games, so they were uh, pretty much equal. One of those guys, Cedric uh, Palant, graduated. The other one's Trent Holler who transferred to Marshall from East Carolina before last season. And uh, so he's there. The left tackle is a guy named Ethan Driscoll, who's a big guy, 6'9", 314 pounds. The center is a local product from uh, Cabell Midland High School, which is about 15 miles from campus, Logan Osborne. And the right guard, Dalton Tucker is a, a guy who's been out there a lot the last couple of years. So They came along, like we said already, significantly better at the end of the year last year than they were to start. And we would anticipate as long as those guys can stay healthy, you'll see even a a better group there this year.
1: Uh, Steve, as far as moving on the other side of the ball with defense, uh, um, we've been talking about that on this show that Marshall will have a good defense. uh, But you're the guy in the know. Uh, How are things looking for the defensive side of the ball for Marshall this year?
0: Well, a lot of changes, and again, this was one of the best defenses statistically in all of college football last year. The defensive coordinator, Lance Gidry, is now the defensive coordinator at the University of Miami. Lost two of the three starting linebackers. Lost uh, the guys who uh, started most of the time when they were healthy at safety. Both of those guys are gone, and uh, you lose uh, three or four guys who played a lot on the front four, but all that comes with a big asterisk because Marshall played about uh, at least 10 and sometimes as many as 12 guys rotated on the defensive line and several guys played significant time rotated or because of injuries to the starting safeties even had starting experience at safety. So, if you look at the straight numbers that Marshall loses about half of the guys on the defense who started, it might not be as significant for the herd. Uh, The losses might not hit quite as hard as you might look at just from those numbers.
1: No doubt about it. And uh, we have a question from Brandon. He wants to know that he's actually the East Carolina fan. He wants to know that that he wants it to happen, but from your perspective, Steve, what will it take for Marshall to beat East Carolina at Dowdy
0: Well, the uh, recipe for Marshall last year was great defense, run the ball. The herd had uh, significant uh, time of possession advantage, and as the year went on, when they hit that streak at the end where they won six of the last seven games, the turnovers were not a factor. And when Marshall had a couple of uh, rough times early in the season, there were turnovers, there was not, uh, the ball control. You, you didn't string out long drives and allow that defense to kind of dominate the game. Uh, so that, yeah, because the offense put the defense in some bad situations, it's not, uh, anything news, breaking news or anything, but it's, uh, don't screw up. Don't turn it over. Just uh, grind it out and control the ball and uh, don't make mistakes that put you in a bad spot.
1: So don't be try to be a hero. Uh, just keep it between the lines and uh, and, th- and that way, especially with you guys. I think Marshall and East Carolina, the coaching styles are similar in that uh, Coach Houston wants to run the ball, uh, control that clock and defense, same way it sounds like for Marshall.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. That uh, That worked out very well for the thundering herd last year. And when, like I say, you, you got the, the turnovers taken care of, things went very well. Now, I know I'm glad to be going back to Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. You asked about uh, the, the Marshall trip there. The Marshall fans are talking about that game. There is just something different about this series, this rivalry, dating back to 1970 and the tragedy with the Marshall plane crash after a game in Greenville but there were some great games when these two teams were members of Conference USA between 2005 and 2013-2014 uh, range, and uh, there, were, there were some overtime games, you know, that was jump-started by that crazy bowl game down in Mobile, Alabama, mm-hmm. and a couple of years later then, we're, we're, we didn't know it at the time, but we would be members of the same conference, and there was a very similar game to that one. That bowl game was 64-61 in double overtime. There was the game in the 60s at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium that East Carolina won that in multiple overtime. So there were some exciting games. Most of them were competitive, multiple overtime games. And it it's just one where uh, when when Marshall and the Pirates have been on the field together, it's usually been interesting and entertaining.
1: Yeah, you know, we talk about that in the green room. Uh, Steve is... You're, you're right. It's a special bond. I, I was telling you before, it's not like a robbery, like we hate Marshall. We got to, of course, when we get on the field, it doesn't matter who the opponent is. We want to win that game. But it's, uh, I guess, because of that infamous game in 1970, um, one of the sad, tragic things that ever happened in the history of sports, especially college and college football. And uh, I hate that, obviously, we hate that we have like that particular thing, but at the same time, it's been nice to have a team like that where it's a regional game. Uh, we don't uh, the, both fan bases can drive. I don't. What's the? You may know, Steve. What's um, or Bubba? What's the distance between Huntington to Greenville? I've never taken that trip before.
2: Obviously, I'm I'm traveling from the from the western part of the state, but uh, you know, I, I would have to look up the exact distance. But it's like you said, just just a very drivable trip, and um, I mean it's. It's the type of games that, uh, you know, Kyle talks about it all the time, the, those regional rivalries um, that and Marshall's part of now in the Sun Belt. And, and that's something that um, is sorely missed, not, not only in the American, but uh, several conferences around college football. But uh, kind of along, along these lines, Steve, you, you read my mind. You, you referenced that 2012 game, the crazy 65-59 game at Dowdy Ficklin stadium. That was, uh, that was certainly one um, to remember for pirate fans. And it's hard to believe that the herd hasn't played in Greenville since of course they were supposed to, to visit in 2020, but uh, that didn't happen because of the pandemic.
0: Yeah. And the, the thing that stands out to me is you, you go out there and you know, you hate like all get out to lose those games like that, that are so close. you, Think to ten different plays or more than that that would have made the difference in the game. But as soon as that game's over, you jump a little more quickly just back to the the respect between the two teams. I will never forget our first trip to Greenville. Got up on the morning of the game, went across the road from the hotel to sit down for some breakfast, wearing uh, you know our uh, Marshall Kelly green and. Some, an elderly man walked up, said, you guys, obviously, from Marshall here for the game, we said, yeah, and we actually, it was, it's the radio crew, and well, the man, just tears started flowing down his face, and he had been on the staff at East Carolina in 1970, and oh. even from that side of it, the emotion still that strong, all those years later, you know, and so that's the kind of thing that is unusual and, in fact, is unique and is part of what I think I and from all those years talking with Jeff Charles, I know it was the same on the East Carolina side. I can uh, I see it all the time still today from the Marshall side that it is a series that the the fans uh, kind of really enjoy that we've been able to keep going, at least intermittently,
1: even after the teams aren't in the same conference anymore. Yeah, Bubba, you know uh, the fact that you're friends with him and obviously uh, tailgate with him, but the quarterback Steve for that game for East Carolina, John Cassaza, uh, I Obviously, we knew about the the how important the two teams are, but he was a quarterback that day. He said the only thing went wrong about that game was that we won the game and it should have been Marshall and he and those guys to go out. Uh, victorious, and he was choking up during that interview. I'll never forget that. A few years ago, and these guys that have played in that game, I, I can't imagine uh, for East Carolina. Bubba, don't you think so? They seem to have a. Uh, it's almost like a such a tragic thing for them. It's really hard for them to. I won't say warlike, but it's it's really difficult for them to talk about.
2: Yeah, I mean, you can you can only imagine or can't imagine. I guess I should say, and just having competed just several hours earlier and then uh, all those young men were, were gone as well as, uh, obviously, you know, athletic director and fans and, uh, SID and all, all the folks on, on that flight, just su- such a horrific tragedy. Um, did have the opportunity on the way home from the East Carolina Cincinnati game uh, last November to finally, I- I'd stopped in Huntington, but had never been to the crash site. And, um, know, very emotional experience, um, you know, visiting that and, um, and um, had the opportunity, I guess, back in 2007 to, to go to the Spring Hill Cemetery. So, yeah, that, that was, those were um, very, very unique experiences to say the least. And uh, like, like Steve said, um, he was talking about some of the emotions of Uh, pirate players um, that were in that game or uh, other folks associated with, with that, with that uh, 1970 event. And uh, I know that day when I was at the Spring Hill Cemetery in in 2007, that there was a member or two of that 1970 Marshall team that had, that had been injured and had not traveled to the game. So that, that was, that was a very interesting, You know, kind of a—I don't know if eerie's the right word—but um, you know, very unique feeling um, being there at the cemetery, knowing that a member of that team for Marshall uh, was there. It is, and
0: it's—that's more than fifty years ago now. But every—I'd say every month, there is something that pops up, and you know, I might be. In the summer, there aren't the, as many students around campus and that kind of thing. I think it was last summer, walking across campus, there was one man standing alone at the Memorial Fountain, which uh, most people are somewhat familiar with. If they've seen the the We Are Marshall movie with Matthew McConaughey of Central, uh, it was the, the start of the, the whole movie. The man standing there, and I, as I was walking past, he looked up and... I will, you know, wearing my Marshall shirts, Asked if I worked here, if I was a professor or something. So no, I work in the athletic department. I do the radio broadcast for the games. Well, he teared up and he was a, the brother of one of the Marshall play Marshall had several players who came from uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. They'd come together teammates that had come to the team and uh, passed away. And, he was in driving through Huntington, just kind of, or driving near, I think he was going through Charleston about 45 minutes away said, you know what? I've never been to the school where my brother played, came over, wanted to see campus. And so we spent some time together talking about it. And uh, so, and and something like that happens many times a year. And you're right. It's uh eerie might not be the exact word but it's something along those lines and just you, you see how many people from far and wide were affected by that and it's it's still a thing more than a half century later
2: and reggie oliver being one of those um players of you know from tuscaloosa alabama that that was on that uh, 71 team that you, you reference and um you know anytime all the videos that are out there on youtube you know whether it's the movies the different documentaries uh you know all, all that stuff was very intriguing and um definitely a lot of good stuff out there um to to document that horrific tragedy
1: yeah we've had coach dawson on and uh different folks oh uh, red and um uh, he was a uh, very kind to us obviously uh just uh Tough thing, and Bubba, I know that uh, you had the distance about how far it is from uh, from Marshall being in Huntington to Greenville. East yeah, it,
2: it's about what I thought, uh, right, right around seven hours, um, approximately 450 miles.
1: So there you go, not a bad drive, Steve, and uh, definitely an exciting time for, obviously, with college football, and as far as this series, one of the questions I had for you, and I know you're the man of nor of all things, but uh, do you know about uh, maybe Marshall and East Carolina extending the series? Because, again, we've been talking a lot about in this interview about how much the two teams love playing each other and the fan bases love each other in uh, not a rivalry, but a game that should be played on a regular yes, basis.
0: Hopefully so, and I'm I'm not involved in any of the scheduling talks or anything like that, but I would imagine that – over time, that'll continue. Now, everything has to fall into place. You talk about mutual open dates and you need to have so many home games. But when it does fall into place, I would uh, think and I I hope that uh, it'll at least uh, every few years pop up from time to time.
2: So, Steve, um, we we have not talked about that third phase of of the game. And obviously, still you know, month and a half from camp starting. So, but any light you can shed on the herd special teams, what they return from a kicker and punter standpoint, or maybe a return game standpoint.
0: Well, both of the uh, specialists, the place kicker Reese Vierhoff and the punter John McConnell were freshmen last year. And they uh, like a lot of freshmen do had a little bit of a roller coaster ride at times. McConnell, Ended up averaging about 39 yards a punt. Showed uh, a good touch as a punter. uh, Pinned the opponents inside the 20 yard line 26 times and was available, uh, mostly available to or able to avoid touchbacks. So, pretty good touch, pinning people deep. Had a couple blocked though, and a couple of them were because he was simply too slow. It wasn't necessarily that the guys up front didn't do their job. Veerhoff. Was 13 of 20 and uh, doesn't have uh, didn't show a huge leg and didn't get a chance to uh, try a whole lot of 40 plus yard field goals, but has a big leg. And I would think as he now is in another year and watching what he did in spring ball, the ball was really booming off his foot. So he's added to, uh, you know, through the strength and conditioning program and whatever they do, you know, the flexibility is a part of that with the kickers as well, that uh, I think he he has the potential to really be something And again, it wasn't uh, always consistent, but, uh, you know, 13 and 20, 65% is not awful. If you improve much upon that, you got a really solid place kicker there as well. There is a new long snapper this year. The uh, – Punt return man, Talit Keaton, is uh, moving up the Marshall all-time charts. And, you know, they've they've got several guys who uh, have had experience returning kickoffs. So you've got several good athletes to choose from there. There will be speed out there in the return game.
1: Steve, one question I have. You guys, I know that it seems like with a game of college football, more more coaches like Coach Houston at East Carolina are going for it on fourth down. Is that something you guys do at Marshall?
0: Um, I I agree that in general, uh, it seems like more people are doing that a little bit more. Marshall doesn't do it an inordinate amount of time. 21 times last year, they went for it on fourth down. I think that's probably below average, maybe even at this uh, stage of the the way people go about it in college football.
1: One uh, final question I have for you, Steve, can you talk about the schedule? We obviously know. The Pirates and Thundering Herd will play in Greenville on our first home game, the second game of the season on September 9th. Uh, But what about the rest of the schedule for you guys for the Thundering Herd?
0: Marshall has an opener against the University of Albany out of New York, an FCS uh, program to start things off on uh, September the 2nd, makes the trip to uh, East Carolina, and then follows that up with a home game against Virginia Tech. Opens conference play with uh, Old Dominion also at home and then heads back down in your neighborhood to play at North Carolina State on October the 7th. So uh, you get the opener with with Albany and then you jump right into it full tilt from there on.
1: Well, it sounds like a lot of fun. And uh, by the way, before we let you go, how can people listen to you? Because you and our next guest, Adam Witten, always try to listen to our play by play uh, voice is one of my favorite things to do. I guess I'm a radio nerd, but Steve, I, listen, I love listening to uh, games on the radio more than watching it on television.
0: Yeah, I do the same thing. I talked earlier about uh, the uh, College World Series going on, and I have right. spent the last two weeks listening to everybody, uh, getting to know some new radio guys and that. Herd Zone app uh, is our game day app, so Herd Zone, you can uh, check that out, and then Marshall's on the Varsity Network as well.
1: Love that. Miss that. Miss being a part of Learfield. For, I love that varsity app, uh, no doubt. Steve, I hope you have a great vacation. We'll try to have you back, obviously, early September before the East Carolina Marshall game. You've always been very good to us. Enjoy your summer, and we'll get you back on here in a few weeks. All right, Dave, Bubba, appreciate you having me. Have a good one. All right, you Thank too. You. Take care, of, take care of Steve. All right, good night. Appreciate Steve, the play-by-play voice of uh, the Marshall Thundering Herd, and now a guy we've gotten to know over the last few years from App State to play-by-play voice is Mr. Adam Whitten. How you doing, man?
3: What's up, guys? Thanks for having me again. Good to see you all.
1: Good to see you too. Uh, hey, I know that uh, Steve said he wanted vacation, but uh, we're we're excited about football. Are you ready to lace them <laughs> up and uh, we'll come to Boone and maybe do a July game?
3: Yeah, that'd be great. I, I miss it, man. <laughs> I uh, I start doing like a daily Twitter countdown starting at 100 days until kickoff. Today is... Day seventy nine, so we're still not even through the first quarter of the countdown. But yeah, man, I'm I'm ready to go. There there's just little little things that happen between now, you know, just little morsels of football that happen in the spring and summer. You know, whether it's spring football or you know, we just had our our golf tournament, so you see all the all the coaches and some players at that. Well, and then we're closing in on about a month away from conference media days, so. We've got some things to, to look forward to, at least. We don't have to wait all 79 days until that opening Saturday. But it is is—it uh, it is something that I'm yearning for, definitely.
1: If you guys move the game up, then we'll definitely buy, buy tickets, right, Bubba? Yeah. And
2: speaking of <laughs> tickets, um, Adam and I will...
1: I will... I need tickets, Adam. If you know anywhere, I can get them.
2: <laughs> actually, another App State fan and I uh, were discussing this earlier, and uh, it's funny. I said, I'm glad you sent me this, but I'd actually just seen it anyway, and I was going to ask Adam about it. Uh, so North Carolina Tar Heels, three-game mini plans went on sale. to grab your tickets for the App State game and select two other home games to take advantage of this package. So trying to prevent the black and gold, uh, much like in the past, trying to prevent the purple and gold from taking over Keenan Stadium, right, Adam?
3: I, you know, I don't know that that's necessarily going to work. If if that is indeed one of the reasons why those mini plans are being offered, I don't think that's going to have the desired outcome because that's just going to give App State fans a a better price point to find tickets for that game if they weren't wanting to go. Like, well, I guess I should just buy season tickets so that I can right. go to that game. We we see that in a lot of places. I think I think most famously, like. Georgia fans buy season tickets for Georgia tech the years that they play in Atlanta and that rivalry game, just so they, you know, get good seats for that one. But um, you know, yeah, I, I think app state fans, I mean, look, we'll we'll have our allotment of tickets for that game. We'll buy is, we'll probably sell those out in our section. Um, And then we'll go on if there's single game tickets available for it, our fans will go onto the website and try to get those. But if, if people were thinking, well, maybe the best way to make sure that I can get to that game is to get season tickets in Keenan stadium. This just offers them a much cheaper way of, of getting to that game is, is that, that mini plan, you know, we, we, we used to do mini plans back in the day selling tickets at, at app state. Uh, We haven't done that in quite some time because um, we we've been selling out season tickets, at least the last couple of years. So um, that's, that's usually one of the one of the reasons we would offer those mini plans is because we were having a tough time selling season tickets.
1: Adam, what's the capacity there in Boone? Is it thirty five
3: thousand? So it's it's thirty thousand seating capacity, um, but when you count the the hill behind the south end zone. Um, for the North Carolina game, we brought in temporary bleachers in front of the North end zone. We're going to have those again for the East Carolina game. Yes. You know, we we were able to get up to to forty thousand wow. um, for uh well, not yeah, so about yeah, about forty thousand for for the North Carolina game. So I'm anticipating something similar for the ECU game.
2: Before we shift over and talk some, you know, program and your know, personnel and so forth, I'm just. One more note or two about tickets. I, I know what season tickets for the apps are generally about two hundred and fifty bucks. I think that's what it was a season ago, and then what the the ticket for the North Carolina game was one hundred mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, and fifty dollars. And I don't think season single game tickets have uh, come out as far as the pricing yet.
3: No, we typically don't release single game tickets for, for the public until August. That's assuming we have any, there won't be any single game tickets available for the ECU game. I I can just go ahead and tell people that. Um, And and there may not be any available for, you know, a a couple other games. We've got some pretty attractive home games. Um, This, in the odd numbered years app gets to host coastal Carolina, Marshall and Georgia Southern at home in their conference rotation combine that with the ecu game at home uh it's it's a pretty attractive home schedule so you know we've sold out of season tickets there's still a waiting list for season tickets um when we put single game tickets available for the public usually at the beginning of august um those get gobbled up pretty fast i don't anticipate we're going to have any of those available for the ecu game
2: yeah, I'd seen that announcement here recently. As far as the season ticket allotment for a second straight year selling out, and what that's roughly about eleven,
3: you say? That- yeah, yeah, about eleven thousand season tickets. Correct.
2: Transitioning to um, kind of the state of the program, entering year four of Sean Clark. Um, obviously, he had taken over in 2019 for the bowl game. Um, so you had nine and three, ten and four last year, six and six. Kind of an odd season. A lot of near misses. Including that game against North Carolina, you had the the big win out at Texas A and M. So, you know, what's the general consensus with um, App Nation when you know entering year four with Sean Clark?
3: Yeah, so you're right. Last year was was really bizarre, um, but it's certainly going to be the most one of the most memorable seasons we'll ever experience, even with a six and six finish for for good reasons and for for bad reasons. Um, September was unlike anything we've ever seen with the win over A&M college game day, the Hail Mary against Troy, all within a span of seven days. Um, and then and then after that, you know, just lost too many close games uh, down the stretch and ended up finishing six and six. So, you know, going into this season, I, I think it's it's going to be different than than what we're accustomed to, because. Um, you combine what happened last year with the fact that you're losing some some star power on both sides of the ball. You're losing your quarterback in Chase Bryce. Um, you're losing Cam Peoples, a star running back. You're losing some some key. You're both of your starting tackles on the offensive line, um, and some stars on defense like Nick Hampton, who was drafted by the the LA Rams on defense. So, I think what you're going to find is that when you get to Media days, and and we're seeing all the magazines are coming out now. Athlon and Phil Steele, so these predictions are not going to have the Mountaineers um, probably picked to win the East or even the conference, and so it's it's that's much different than what we've experienced in the past. Is App is typically picked to win the East, typically one of the favorites amongst the conference. I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, So. Uh, you know this is a program that's always been built on on somewhat of a culture of fighting for respect um and so now they're going to have that opportunity they are going to be fighting for respect this year because of where people think that they're going to be because of some of the 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 names that aren't going to be around coming into this season i still think this team is has as good a shot as as any team in the past to win the conference um but i don't think it's going to be viewed that way um, by the, by the media or or people that that put in predictions preseason, just because of, of all the things I just mentioned.
2: Yeah, and the transition at quarterback. You also have two new coordinators, and um, you know, on offense and defense. Uh, although they are familiar faces, uh, Frank Ponce on offense, and then Scott Sloan on defense. Let's start on the offensive side with Frank Ponce coming back from Miami. Uh, talk about that transition.
3: Yeah, Frank Ponce is is such a phenomenal coach, great recruiter, such a smart guy really knows the quarterback position. Um, You know, he, he uh, was, was a great quarterbacks coach and co-offensive coordinator for us with, um, with Scott Satterfield. And then, you know, even, even before the Miami transition, he leaves um, when, when Satterfield um, leaves for Louisville. Uh, So he's not with the program when Eli Drinkwitz comes in and then, when Sean Clark's the head coach, he comes back and and is a offensive. He gets an offensive coordinator opportunity. Then he leaves to to go to Miami for a tremendous opportunity under on, on Mario Cristobal's staff. Um, and now he's back again as the offensive coordinator. That that's a big win um, for App to have him back as the offensive coordinator. And the thing that I like about it is they've had so many different offensive coordinators over the last six years, really. And I think where that really tends to, to make an impact is you don't have that matchup of offensive coordinator and quarterback that was recruited by that offensive coordinator or with that offensive coordinator, even though Frank Ponce left for one year to go to Miami, the, these two quarterbacks that are going to battle for the starting spot, Joey Aguilar and, and uh, Ryan Berger were, were both guys that were, recruited by by Frank Ponce or or discovered by Frank Ponce. Ryan Berger was their was their top quarterback uh, pick out of high school when Frank Ponce was recruiting quarterbacks at the time. So I, I like the fact that even though you've got a quarterback battle going on, it's it's going to be under the tutelage of Frank Ponce, who is familiar with both of those guys. So from an offensive perspective, I'm really excited to see what what that combination will bring. But um uh, certainly I am, and I know a lot of App State fans are over the moon about the fact that Frank Ponce is back as our offensive coordinator.
1: And, Adam, as you know, uh, you guys probably felt like in a lot of the opponents that Holton Aylers was here for like 10, 20 years. But yeah. uh, he's gone, so it's going to be interesting to see because uh, I know you guys have the quarterback battle. We'll talk about that. We have at East Carolina, as you probably know, Mason Garcia, four-star guy to the Myrtle Beach area. He's waited his turn. He's held the clipboard, as they say, for a long time. And then you—he's he's, a, a, I guess, a COVID sophomore. And then you have uh, Alex Flynn is a guy from the Bubba's well, Asheville area. But he's really, uh, the spring game, he actually has really come on strong. So what we thought was Mason Garcia's job, um, as Lee Corso would say, not so fast. <laughs> so we'll have to wait and see there. But as far as you guys uh, there with App, uh, can you talk about the skill sets of the three quarterbacks?
3: Yeah, so I'll start with with Ryan Berger, and I think that would be interesting if it ends up that Mason Garcia and Ryan Berger end up as the starting quarterbacks in that game because they're both from the Myrtle Beach area. Okay. Uh, Berger went to Myrtle Beach High School. Um, so, you know, Berger is is really the only one that that we've seen because he was a, a true freshman last year, and he he was able to use his red shirt because he only – came in in a couple of games but we we saw him all through practice um super smart guy has has taken on to the offense really well um he's a dual threat quarterback um and has what what i've been told is when you watch him in practice he's got maybe more pure speed um than even like zach thomas who i don't know how many of your listeners will know zach thomas's name but but certainly, he was a guy that um, could could beat you with his legs if he needed to, and along with having a great arm. So Ryan Berger, he, he's tall, uh, much like Mason Garcia. They're both tall quarterbacks. Um, just needed to kind of put on some muscle and some pounds uh, because he was a slender guy coming out of high school, as most most quarterbacks tend to be um, when when they're freshmen. But he, he's he's got the He's got the makeup of the of, of a great app state quarterback because for as great as Chase Bryce was, um, just didn't have the mobility, I think, that that you really need to to open up this offense the way that you want it to at App. So um Joey Aguilar, you know, he's also a a, a dual threat guy. He he's got the speed with his legs. Um, probably uh, he's he's matured a little bit more because he played junior college. So he's had a couple more years to develop in at the college level. Um, so a little bigger um maybe a little bit more seasoned at reading defenses at the college level but you know overall they're, they're very similar in terms of playing style they can both make the throws we saw them in scrimmages during the spring they both would make throws that would would blow you away um but you know they were also prone to mistakes because they're both competing at a different level competing for the for the starting job so um I'm be very curious. It really is. It's the first time since 2014 that we haven't known who the starting quarterback was going to oh. be going into the season. We've always had an idea, whether it was Taylor Lamb, Zach Thomas, or Chase Bryce the last two years. This year, we, it's going to play out during fall camp. Um, the third quarterback that gets mentioned, I, I don't want to discount him, he, but he is a true freshman, and that's Mason McHugh. Um, he was brought in from IMG Academy. And what's interesting is that he, while he is from IMG Academy, he spent the last year actually training with, with a, with a quarterback coach. He didn't play high school ball this past year. Um, His last year of high school ball was, was the 2021 season. So he's been training, he's been doing a lot of personal work. So, um, you know, maybe a little bit more advanced. Um, in terms of skills than your typical freshman quarterback so i certainly wouldn't put it past his opportunity to come in and, and compete for the job but but he is coming in as a true freshman whereas joey aguilar is a juco transfer and ryan berger as a redshirt freshman and coach mark
1: and stat sorry go ahead Dave. i was just going to point out real quick and then we'll get back to the uh the skills uh, positions but uh, last time that we played at Boone, 1979, I was in first grade, so <laughs> I know that the we moved up to Division One A. You guys were in uh, FCS uh, until was
3: it 2014? Yeah, 2014 was our first year in the Sun Belt. Just hard to
1: believe that we haven't been to Boone since 1979,
3: Bubba. Yeah, I mean,
2: definitely, um, definitely tough to believe. in this ga- in this game, it's a matchup, that's long overdue, and you know since. You brought that up, Dave, um, and that's something that John Gilbert, when we had him on a couple days ago, he talked about his conversations with Doug Gillen, uh, saying that this is definitely a series that that the two of them want to continue um, home and home, not so much in Charlotte again, but uh, he said he'd rather the games be played in Greenville and Boone.
1: I agree, because uh, Kent Brewer Stadium, I mean, the Rock, uh, that's like a bucket list for those of us that love college football, everybody that uh, a lot of people know about that stadium and and you guys have a great AD bringing in Miami, North Carolina, you know, and having a, not that we're maybe the brand names they are, but certainly uh, the fan, both fan bases love this game. And I, I think having it in Boone and in Greenville, uh, there's something special about the the home games for either school versus a neutral site. It's not as OK every once in a while, but I really like the home and home.
3: Well, well, here's here's what I think the fans appreciate and I think um, your fans will will appreciate, especially in week two, September 9th, um, getting a chance to go to a football game in the state of North Carolina where it's not going to be 90 degrees, right? Um, we, we found that I think that's why a lot of Miami fans made the trip in 2016 to come up and play. A lot of Carolina fans made the trip on that opening weekend because if, if you're a fan of, of Carolina or, or ECU or state or anybody, and you're thinking I can go spend a weekend in the mountains in September when, it's, when I'm not going to be sweating my tail off in the stands during the game. Like it sounds like a pretty good experience to go watch a game. So I, I think that'll be something that, that your fan base, the ECU fan base will uh, will appreciate about this first trip to Boone. And like you said, you know, over almost 50 years.
2: Now, Adam, what was your first year on the call? 2016. Okay, that's. I thought um, that 2012 game in Greenville. So four years prior, <laughs> that, that, that was, yeah, I was wasn't really able good. to be there that day. But uh, that was brutal.
3: Our fans, our fans, always talk about that game as the hottest by far, the hottest game, the most miserable yeah. conditions they've ever been a part of from a heat perspective.
1: Hey, Matt, uh, Adam Bubba's our stats guy. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Bubba, and you would, uh, he's the research staff for her show. I believe that's the record, or it should be, uh, for the hottest kickoff in the history of our program. It was 95. I remember it very well. I'm pretty sure it was 95 degrees. Uh, We had Adam, we had 400 fans that were um, taken out of the stadium because of uh, having too many pirate beverages or not enough. uh, Either way, not enough hydration with water. Um, I've never seen anything like that. And I've been going to games not as long as Bubba, but since 1986. Bubba, have you seen another time when 400 people were taken out of the stadium because of lack of hydration?
2: No. Uh, like I said, I, I wasn't able to to be there that day where I was coaching high school football at the time. Yeah. We had our film review on Saturday morning, and that was an early kickoff, so I had to watch it on TV. Sure. Uh, but, yeah, that was uh, just the secondhand – or first yes. – accounts of it that I've heard from you know, the countless pirate fans that were there that I'm friends with um yeah i, I w- still wish I'd have been there but uh would have definitely made sure i was hydrated but then yeah. getting back to the to the mountaineers on the offensive side adam uh, i know coach Clark and staff have really stockpiled some talent at those skill positions I'm very talented running back and wide receiver
3: yeah yeah and that's the that's going to be another strength of, of this year's offense. You know, I mentioned the quarterback position uh, you've got two tackles that, that you need to to f- fill in for and Cooper Hodges and Anderson Hardy on that offensive line. Um, but at wide receiver and running back, you do have a ton of talent there coming back um, at running back. You lose Cam peoples. He's currently uh, with the Panthers right now in, in their mini camp, but Nate Noel will be back. Uh, Amani Marshall will be back. Anderson castle, um, yeah, you know, Kanye Roberts, who was a true freshman last year, one of the best high school running backs in the history of this state. Um, and, and then you've got uh, you know some transfers coming in too. Um, at the receiver and the and the running back position, um, you've got a, a, a transfer from Navy, uh, Mikel Haywood, um, who's been really impressive during spring ball. He came in for the spring. Um, they really like what he can bring at the wide receiver position. Christian Horn, who was the the hero of the Hail Mary game against Troy. Um, I expect him to have a breakout season, be kind of their – maybe their number one guy. Caden Robinson, the transfer from UCF. Sean Davis, a great slot receiver with tremendous speed. Um, and then a couple other transfers at the wide receiver position as well. So, uh, certainly, whoever the quarterback is, there's going to be a lot of options for, for who he wants to put the ball in the hands of.
1: I know you talked about offensive line having to replace that uh... – and running back and wide receiver. I know you guys want to run the ball. Um, so, do you think the offensive line will be an upgrade uh, this year?
3: That's tough to say, uh, Dave. That's that's a that's that's going to be one of the more interesting storylines to follow because um, while they do have some talent coming back, you know, they have three interior linemen that will all return from last year: Isaiah Helms, who made the move to center last year; Bucky Williams, a transfer at one guard; Damian Daly. Um, who's been a, now a multiple year starter at the other guard position, but outside you've got, uh, two tackle spots that you've got to replace. And so, um, I don't, it, it's hard to say how that, how that unit's going to gel. We'll have to wait to see how fall camp goes, see what those scrimmages look like. Um, because, uh, now app has brought in a number of, of transfers, um, along the offensive line guys from, from bigger programs like Georgia and NC state. Um, but we got to kind of wait and see those guys weren't around for spring ball. So the first action we're going to see them in a Mountaineer uniform is when they get to fall camp in August. So that's, I, I that's going to be a tough one to answer at this point, Dave. Um, that's a wait and see at, at this stage.
1: And that's the way bubble for us. We, uh, because of NIL, we've lost the shot Struther. We've lost Avery Jones. Help me out, but I know there's two off the top of my, yeah,
2: Avery Jones to, to Illinois. And then, and then Auburn plucked him from Illinois thanks to the NIL, and then, like you said, Nashad Strother went through spring practice and um, so much experience and then takes advantage of those 15 practices that, you know, somebody else could have been getting those snaps and then decides to head to Oregon. So, um, but shifting over, to, shifting over to the defensive side, um, a few minutes ago I referenced the return of Scott Sloan, obviously a very successful first stint uh, in Boone. Uh, so talk about his return and uh, what the Mountaineers are uh, returning personnel-wise on the defensive side.
3: Yeah, another another slam-dunk hire from a coordinator perspective. Scott Sloan was a big part of our defensive staff during the Satterfield years when we were uh, making that incredible jump to the Sun Belt, started winning championships and bowl games. Scott Sloan was a, was a secondary assistant coach and our recruiting coordinator at the time. Um, you know leaves because he has the opportunity to run his own defense at Georgia Southern, um, unfortunately was part of a staff that got let go during that time but but went to, to army with his old coordinator Nate Woody, who was the defensive coordinator at app for a little while. And now he has the opportunity to to come back for a defensive coordinator spot his first opportunity to truly run the defense at App State. His defenses were great at, at Georgia Southern. That was not the reason why they struggled so much when, when he was in Statesboro. Um, you know, he he is a guy who um, teaches more based on on philosophies and concepts um, rather than trying to drill a bunch of X's and O's into guy's heads because he doesn't want guys to be overwhelmed with all these different reads and assignments. He wants defenses to play fast and, and react and use their skill and athleticism to their advantage. Um, so conceptually, it's a little bit of a different pace, but I think it's going to behoove um, us to 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 run that way and, and really maximize the speed and athleticism of our defense. Also, his teams have always been near the top of the conference or the country when it comes to takeaways and turnover margin. And you know, when when you win turnover margin, most more times than not, you're going to win college football games. So uh, we we like what Scott Sloan's bringing to the table for sure.
1: And no doubt, and uh, that's going to be what a game, what a matchup with, uh, in fact, uh, not having Keith Mitchell uh, for East Carolina. Some people are worried, but I think the running back room is going to be great against that uh, defense there. And um, having the the, one of the questions I had for you, uh, Adam, is uh, how do you feel about, I know we talked about it's going to be cooler in Boone than obviously Greenville uh, on September 16th, but what about the fact that the game is at three thirty. Would you guys as fans and maybe folks that, that there prefer a night game being in screen I mean East Carolina?
3: Yeah, you know, it's it's a good question. Um I I think there is a a a group of people that maybe not necessarily the ECU game, but just to have a night game. Um the only night games we really have in Boone are the weeknight games, a, a Wednesday, a Thursday night. Um Typically, if it's a Saturday game, it's at 3.30 until we turn the clocks back, and then it goes to 2.30. And the reason is because that is the perfect time for kickoff to maximize the fan experience. People got to remember, a huge chunk of our fan base lives off the mountain. A huge chunk of our fan base drives an hour and a half, two hours, three hours if you live in Raleigh. And so, three thirty provides the perfect opportunity where people can go to the game, but they don't necessarily have to to try to find overnight accommodations. Um, you can get up, you can have plenty of time to tailgate in the morning, and then the game's over at a time where you could still drive home if you want to, or grab a late dinner and then drive home. So, uh, three thirty, I think, is is always going to be the optimal kickoff time. Yeah, I'm sure there were some people that were disappointed that we didn't get a chance to to play this game at night because maybe it creates a better atmosphere in the evening time. But I think if you want the best fan experience and and the best crowd for our games, um, 3.30 is the way to go. You'll never hear me complain about those 3.30 games because you know I I don't live in Boone. I drive an hour and a half to get to the stadium and to drive home. So I'd I'd rather drive home when it's 8 o'clock at night versus midnight.
1: No doubt. And uh, for us, I'm in the eastern part of the state, so I could leave the great thing about that game. I could leave early Saturday morning in the Greenville area and drive to, to Boone. If, hopefully I can get tickets. Bubba's the man. He's yeah. the app state man. So he knows where, how to get all the tickets. So maybe if Bubba or Adam can have the hookup for us, we we'll need like four seats. So. <laughs> Good but, luck. Uh, that, right, Bubba. Yeah. Adam, during
2: the 2022 season, I know, um, the, the, the secondary in the past defense uh, was not, what um coach clark wanted to to say the least so you know entering this year you know how did, how did that look in spring ball obviously it's tough to gauge uh, going against uh, going against yourselves especially when you have the new quarterbacks um you know taking over but uh, you know how how does that look headed into the fall
3: Yeah and and I think it really came down bubba to to two main things last year in terms of why the defense had a hard time um it was not being able to get pressure with three or four guys. So not getting enough consistent pass rush from your, from your base defense up front and then not getting off the field on third down. And, and those things can play hand in hand. If you're facing third and long defensively and you're trying to rush three or four and and cover with seven or eight, um, if you're not able to get to the quarterback and give the quarterback all day to throw, eventually someone's going to get open. And we had that too many times in critical situations. And so what, what we've done is, um, certainly from a recruiting standpoint, the last two years, we've gotten bigger and and longer, um, up front, but those guys were still young last year. And, uh, I tell you two of the guys on the defensive line that I, I love watching at least in the springtime, are two transfers. One's name is Michael Fletcher. He's from Michigan State. He'll wear number five, 6'6, 260 pounds. Looks like an absolute monster when you walk up next to him. Um, and then the other guy is Sean Collins. Uh, he'll wear number 12. He's 6'5, 250 transfer from Rutgers. Those two guys, along with some other big bodies, long armed guys on the defensive line, I hope will allow the team to be able to get more consistent pressure without having to blitz. Um, and if they can do that, They'll be much better defensively. They'll get stops. They'll get more turnovers, um, and they can do a lot of different looks. Plus, I think the team will be better in man-to-man coverage on the outside. Tyreek Funderburk is a name uh, to know. He's a transfer from Richmond. He'll play corner. He's a great cover man-to-man corner. And when you can play man defense on the outside, it also gives you a lot more flexibility defensively. So I think those are some things that we had a tough time with last year that they really addressed in the offseason.
1: Uh, Adam, what about special teams when it comes to uh, place kicker, punter, uh, return person? What about that side of the ball, as they say?
3: Yeah. So uh punter, we've got a little bit of a competition. Uh, we've got a couple guys that will be competing to, to take over the role from, from Clayton Howell from last year. So we'll have to kind of wait and see during fall camp to see who the punter is. Michael Hughes um, is the incumbent place kicker, but certainly he's going to be pushed as well with some competition. Um, he's the kickoff and place kicker. He was a first year starter last year. He made the kick that ended up being the deciding points in the Texas A&M game. But then unfortunately at the end of the year, he missed a a short field goal that would have won the game in regulation against Georgia Southern. Instead, the game goes to double overtime and ended up losing to miss out on a bowl game. So uh, he had some highs and lows last year. On the return game, the only preseason All-American on the roster is the kick returner, Milan Tucker. Um, Preseason All-American by multiple publications now. Um, He returned to kickoff for a touchdown in the Marshall game a year ago. He was top 10 in the country in average kick return yards. So um, in the return game, a lot of talent there, especially with Milan Tucker, but uh, certainly a competition at the punter slot. Um, That's one of the more interesting competitions from a position standpoint going into fall
2: taking a look at the the coverage for this game. This will be an ESPN plus game. Um, That surprised me a little bit. What about you, Adam?
3: Yeah, I mean, it didn't, I don't know that it surprised me as much um, just because it's a, it's a Saturday um, at at an in week in week two, when everybody plays on Saturday, you know, maybe if it was a week one game, I think maybe we would have found some, some linear television coverage of it, but because in week two, Every, every single school plays on Saturday. There aren't as many of those, you know, you're not going to have as many Thursday games. You won't have any Sunday games because the NFL will get started. There's no Monday Labor Day games. Um, So there's just, there's just too many games, I think on that Saturday. And it's a Sunbelt controlled game. So yeah, I wasn't, honestly, wasn't surprised. It ended up as ESPN plus.
1: So Adam, I I saw that at your stadium on Saturday, uh, Saturday, September, Saturday, July 29th, you have one of my favorite singers, Darius Rucker. Mm-hmm. Rudy's coming to Boone, Bubba. Come on. Let's make the road trip and uh see a great show there with Darius Rucker.
3: Yeah, we, we are we're we're thankful that this is going to be a summer concert. And uh look, as as amazing as it was when we had Luke Combs. Um, in 2021 he was the very first stadium show that we did an app state guy luke combs um that show was the saturday after we we played ecu in charlotte on that thursday night um that was not intended to be a fall show but it got pushed there because of covid right. and so you had thursday night game in charlotte uh team comes back they practice that we they practice um or no, I'm sorry, they had the concert on Saturday and they had to have the the stadium ready for them to practice that next day on Sunday because they had a game the following week, a home game, by the way. So, oh. yeah, so that was not ideal. We're we're excited for Darius Rucker, and I think there's a lot of people in, in the facilities line of work that are happy that it's in the middle of the summer rather than in September.
2: Yeah, I was fortunate to be able to attend that Luke Combs concert. That was a lot of fun and, uh, you know, I saw one of the most miserable things that I've witnessed, you know, at a game or a concert. In that case, uh, right there, I guess it was early on in the concert, maybe even before the concert started. And there, there was a young lady. I say young lady. I mean, she was, she was probably, a, maybe perhaps a young grad, and. She got puked on by a gentleman who was intoxicated, and yeah. and, and she's like, she's like, what the what? And she's like, I've waited two years for this, and so I I, I felt so bad for her. Oh yeah, my God. not not exactly wow. the experience yeah. you're hoping yeah. for.
1: Yeah. yeah, I don't think the Chamber of Commerce appreciates, appreciates that story, Bubba.
3: No. Yeah, <laughs> but
2: no, it's just one of those things. I'm sure is unfortunately something that's that, uh, that uh, whether it's a. Uh, a large sporting event or a a, car, a concert of that magnitude where you have tens of thousands of people that um, some people uh, can't control themselves but uh but yeah how have the the ticket sales gone for that uh, Darius record concert
3: good question I, i'm actually not not familiar with uh with how the ticket sales have been i know that i've been asked by some people um if 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 we ha- if i have access to tickets so if I'm getting that question, I would imagine that the the ticket must be uh, in demand.
1: It looked like the seats were um, like on the field are still available because they're uh, like ninety five apiece. But yeah. when you think about Darius Rucker and all the hits he has, plus all the stuff from Hoodie and the Blowfish, um, that show for ninety five dollars is actually this day and time. Even though on the those of us that are middle class, working class folks. Um ninety-five may sound like a lot, but the ticket industry for that big a star, it's not bad. And I would love for the novelty of the fact that Boone is such a great town, great people there, great atmosphere. I'm sure it's gonna be a great show. Yeah. Yeah.
2: For someone in Charlotte or Winston-Salem, Greensboro, I and mean, that's that's an easy, easy drive. And yep. um, you know, it would be a fun night for uh for a couple to, to make. But um final thing for you, Adam, just you referenced just a moment ago, the Sunbelt conference um, and talk about that league and the strides it continues to make, not only in football, but uh, you know, top five in baseball, RPI and uh, the apps. And you have one of, one of East Carolina's own uh, third base coach and recruiting coordinator, Britt Johnson, he and Kermit Smith and that staff have done a tremendous job and won 30 games this year.
3: Yeah. Baseball was a lot of fun to follow. They, they, had a fantastic season. One of the best years that they've they've had um in quite some time and doing it in the strongest league they've ever played in when you think about uh the number of teams that that made regional play with Southern Miss and Louisiana and Troy and Coastal Carolina and two of those schools hosting and one hosting a, a super regional in Southern Miss. So baseball it's a it's a phenomenal league and app had a great season because of some guys that transferred from East Carolina as well, players wise. Um, So the transfer portal, especially from ECU helped them out a little bit this year too. So uh, from a football perspective, you know, it it continues to be one of the best uh, group of five leagues in terms of just competition. It's a great league, Marshall and app and coastal Carolina, all in that East Division and Georgia Southern, you know, Southern Miss is going to make the climb back. Louisiana's was a was a great program with Billy Napier and they'll be back as well. Troy had a phenomenal season. Their only conference loss was the Hail Mary loss to App State and they win the league. So, um the league is great and the thing I've always liked about the Sun Belt since it was announced they were going to expand was just how they are leaning into what makes college football fun and that is the regional rivalries. You know, when it's a lot more exciting for us to talk about college football from app and ecu when they're playing each other it's a lot more fun when app is playing uh coastal carolina and marshall and georgia southern rather than idaho and new mexico state schools that used to be in the conference um you know this this is this is what college football is at its core it's a regional sport um and apps conference in the sunbelt has leaned into that um at a time where very few other, if any other conferences, really max is is really putting that as a priority.
2: And along those lines, that's what we were saying earlier. I and mean, I really respect and appreciate what Sean Clark says. I've heard him say countless times in interviews, you know, whether it's on podcast or in a media day, etc. As far as um, this game with East Carolina and how, whether it's App State and East Carolina or App State North Carolina, whatever that these are the games that. Um, they make college football great and they need to be played. And, you know, as long as he's there, uh, he wants App State and East Carolina to play.
3: I, I'm right there with him. I think this is I, – I hope that we can – we've got – this is the second of this four-game series coming up this year. We've got two more. We'll have two in Greenville after it. But I, I hope this is uh, the start of a very long series between these two programs.
1: No doubt. And, you know, it's great the fact that we can have two ADs who get how good this rivalry is – And renewed rivalry, really, um, playing in Boone and Greenville like we were talking about. And the fact that we're probably going to have to, like the 90s, uh, for East Carolina's perspective, in order to play North Carolina and North Carolina State home and home, home, uh, we're going to have to have legislation. We're going to have to get legislators involved, again, which I absolutely hate. But you have to do what you have to do because financially, there's no way that both, uh, I'll say, North Carolina and North Carolina State can say that. They don't have, a you know, like a, a big, big uh, amount of uh, people coming that are pur- purple and gold or obviously people are excited about those games.
3: Yeah, I mean, these these non-conference games, um, you know, a lot of the schools that the television money supports the schools and so maybe they don't need the ticket revenue as much as as schools like app and ecu do but um that money doesn't help the community that money doesn't help the businesses and the hotels and all the other things that related around the local economy that's what these games do these games not only help help the the schools and the fans and selling and and having amazing atmospheres and memories it helps the communities Uh, we know that when app and ecu play the stadiums are going to be full when App plays in chapel hill the stadium's going to be full and and people are going to go to the restaurants and the bars and the hotels and 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 support that community and and make it so that everybody around that that campus who has a business is is going to be thrilled when when these types of games are happening so yeah i mean it's it's not just about the schools when it comes to this it's not just about putting money in in the in the pockets of of a, of an athletics budget it's 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 what's going to help the the state overall um and that's playing these types of games that are good for the state they're good for the towns um let's make sure that that these games continue to happen and it's going to take buy-in from from the 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 ACC schools to to do this as well because i think you've got a lot of these schools that aren't in the ACC in North Carolina that that understand this and will be willing to do this we've got to get the other schools at at, that are in the ACC to, to join us in that.
1: Well said, my friend, Uh, as we wrap things up, we want to ask you about your social media. And like I was saying with Stan, love to listen to you guys on the radio. How can we listen to, Adam Witten.
3: Yeah, so uh you you it's if folks are watching it, um it's right there at the top of the screen at, at Adam B Witten, uh no h and Witten, as most people like to do. Um that's my my Twitter handle. Um if you're listening, if if you're in Boone or around that area when we're playing a game, 973 FM is is our flagship station, very powerful FM station based out of North Wilkesboro. And then um streaming wise, we stream all our games on appstatesports.com and uh we have just like uh steve cotton said with marshall earlier we have our varsity network app through our our friends at learfield um that also streams our game on your mobile device
2: and with that game being uh espn plus will it be david jackson on the call
3: it should be yes should be
1: good stuff good stuff uh david's a great guy and uh you are too. Appreciate it, Adam. You've always been very good to us and I uh, hope you get a chance to rest this summer and uh, maybe see a concert there at Darius Rucker. Yeah. And uh, I know it'll be a lot of fun and uh, look forward to seeing you in Boone in September.
3: Absolutely. Thank you guys. Anytime. Happy to join. All right. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.
1: Appreciate Adam very much uh, being a part of our show as we're doing our opponent preview is summertime Bubba. So excited. 80 some days away from. Uh, the first game there in uh, Ann Arbor, where we'll be in Michigan. And uh, my kids are so excited about that. Uh, On the screen right now, if you're listening, uh, we're talking about, of course, our season tickets, 1-800-DIAL-ECU. If you're old school like me, you can pick up the phone and call them, or you can go anytime at ecupirates.com. I've actually learned, I'm an old dog, learning new tricks, as learning how to order stuff uh, on that with ecupirates.com and Bubba. I uh, want to get people more involved with uh, Pirates Unite. We've got to get more people. Um, you see my background there with the uh, Doughty Ficklin Stadium. We need that stadium packed. We need people giving a lot of money. And when I say a lot of money, uh, I'm talking about collectively. I'm not talking about you being financially. You and I talked about this off-air, Bubba, financially irresponsible. We're talking about people that maybe they can give 50 a bucks, 100 bucks. Maybe they say, hey, we'll give a $1,000 and – you can make monthly payments on that right
2: yeah and there're definitely a lot of ways that uh, you can go about donating to the to the ECU Pirate Club on 252-737-4540 or simply go to ecupirateclub.com whatever your preference is I, you know generally i handle things over the phone and i just like to speak to someone and make sure um, that everything's taken care of that way but um, you know ecupirateclub.com i've done it that way as well I'm very simple And But if you attempt to donate online and you experience any issues, definitely uh, feel free to to call 252-737-4540, and uh, they'll be glad to take your call, answer your questions, and um, accept your gift to ECU Athletics uh, via the Pirate Club. But uh, speaking of the Pirate Club, we'll have Executive Director Ryan Robinson on the show on Monday uh, so uh, feel free to submit your questions uh, whether it's to us on social media uh, or you can email us at theseport at gmail.com if you have any questions for Ryan Robinson um, we also caught up with John Gilbert director of athletics an excellent 25 minute conversation with him just a couple days ago so check that out on our YouTube channel or pretty much anywhere podcast or found. Uh, Such as Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, TuneIn, pretty much anywhere you can listen to podcasts, you can find us.
1: No doubt, that's the way we started, and of course, we're streaming now since April of 2020. But we didn't want to get uh, Bub. I've had so many people that tell me that they have long drives; they'll have a commute, and they put on our show. Um, That helps them keep company for like an hour or two drive at a time. So. Appreciate that very much. We haven't forgot our, um, I, I do that a lot like you do, Bubba, I listen to different podcasts. So we want to make sure we didn't forget where we came from.
2: Yeah, no doubt. And, um, you know, kind of along the lines of the, the Pirate Club, the, the current capital campaign, There you go. Uh, which is Pirates Unite, are raising $60 million for a variety of projects. Some of those have actually already been completed, like the auxiliary weight room for the Olympic sports and, and baseball program right there along the, first baseline of Clark LeClaire Stadium. But then uh, you have other projects that are still needing to get underway, and they're not going to break ground on those until all the money's raised or at least essentially all the money has been raised. Um, you, know, you have the IPF, the Indoor Practice Facility. Um, that's going to be what, anywhere from like a twenty-two to $25 million project because of the way construction costs have uh, risen over the last year or two. And uh, that w- that was originally thought to be probably more in the sixteen to eighteen million dollar range, and we've currently raised fifteen million dollars. So um, obviously we need another seven to ten million there. Um, you have four million dollars in hand for the baseball ops building and um, you know premium seating down the third base and left field line at Clark LeClair Stadium. So another three million is needed for that project. And then you have the the purple and gold, excuse me, um, the purple chair back seats, and then uh, also the purple and gold lighting at William Tarina Menji's Coliseum. Uh, the I believe the lighting may be going in this summer, or um, yeah, and then and then the the seating in September or or vice versa. Okay, you're right, you're yeah. right, Bob. And they're so clear. they're actually stripping out the the gray bleachers. Um, yep. i think they've already done that or will be in the next few days and then the uh, purple chair backs will be installed and i'm very intrigued to see how um that will affect that lower bowl you know, as far as how it's right. r- arranged because i know that obviously now as it was uh there b- between the gray bleachers and the purple seats there was the railing there separating the two sections I believe that's going to be at least taken out on that side. And then you'll be able to walk from those purple chair backs into the upper arena to go to the, to the concourse more easily. So uh, it'll be interesting to see the space uh, between the purple seats and press row or, you know, the um, Morgan Aylers and the PA announcer, et cetera, on that side of the court.
1: I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be a lot of fun and a great idea by uh this administration i know how hard they've been working and again we want you to give money 252-737-4540 or you can go to ecupirateclub.com. you can go there and find out about pirates unite i've been giving money uh to it because uh we need to we need to get these projects done and um i know that with uh, the basketball and obviously the women's uh swim and dive team, their locker room, that project I know is getting underway. We'll talk to uh, Ryan Robinson about that. Uh, Those two projects are in Menjee's Williams Arena, if you will, that that area, vicinity, those are underway. Um, And like Bubba said, that weight room, $3 million, uh, that's paid off. Uh, So it comes down to basically, Bubba, the team's building. I think we'll get money for that. But the two big projects that we have to – we've got – it's like an arms race – the three million dollars uh, that we need left on the baseball, we can do that. That uh, you know, three million dollars for us individually—that's <laughs> a huge ask. But collectively, we have so many pirate fans. If you can give ten dollars, a hundred dollars, even if you look—if you—if you say, um, "Bubba, I'm sure you could do it," ten dollars a month um, for the year. If you say, "I can only give one hundred and twenty dollars," that's perfectly fine. And so. Our one-time gift of say fifty dollars, um, all those all those gifts add up, and they. Uh, I know that John Gilbert said on Igo's show, Hoist the Colors radio show on Wednesday, the fact that you know they love the huge donors, but man, those small donors. If you think about, and we don't talk politics on the show, but if you think from that perspective of fundraising, these candidates nationally raise a lot of money by guess what by giving the small amounts, the small gifts is where it's at.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, we just, we need individuals to give as they're able to give. Um, that, that's the thing. I mean, certainly don't, um, you know, under most folks, I mean, this obviously isn't a concern, but, um, we just need people to uh, contribute what they can. I mean, um, whether that's a hundred dollars or, or $500, um, there is no gift it's, it's too small. Everything's appreciated, and you talk about that three million remaining uh, on the baseball. I um, mean, you obviously you sell you know, two and a half thousand baseball season tickets, and I know that's that doesn't mean there's there's obviously uh, I'm not sure how many buyers, but they, if you take those season ticket buyers, and I'm sure a lot have already donated, um, but and just do your part and um, it was just very alarming to hear that roughly 350 to 400 people out of 6000 uh have and that's out of the 6000 approximate pirate club members that we have in 2022 2022 excuse me um it's crazy um in my opinion that uh, only 6% have donated but uh and we'll continue to uh, to bang that drum, so to speak, and do everything we can to to encourage folks to give and uh, and do what they can to
1: support the program. No doubt because this is a crucial time. and the one thing I want to ask Ryan, but I, I already know this probably most likely, but we have the ambitious campaign of sixty million, right? Sixty million is a lot of money. But, bubba, one thing before we go, I wanted to mention the fact that you have other schools that, or 100, 250 million, some crazy numbers. Um, And we're not talking about Alabama. We're talking about people in our conference. I think USF, um, you look at Memphis, what they're doing for, I know the uh, Liberty Bowl expansion and that needed uh, definitely an upgrade and a facelift, if you will. Um, That uh, that certainly is huge. So um, we're not talking about being delusional trying to keep up with Alabama or we're playing Michigan that first game in September. We're talking about just keeping up with the teams in the American, the current American that we have. And so uh, we won't, the way that we can do that is we're going to have to raise, I haven't told you this, Bubba, but I really, truly believe that once we have this first phase over the 60 million, we're going to have to raise 100, 150 million. In other words, don't, once we have this raised, don't just sit back and say, oh, we've got it now. No, we're going to have to really step it up even more beyond the 60 million, in my opinion.
2: And in, in, in addition to, you know, passionate pirate fans, you know, giving as they can, um, you also, you need um, those same individuals to to do everything they can do what Terry Holland preached all those years ago, you know, a, a decade ago now, or, or even longer about the power of one do and do what you can to sign up if, if, each of our six thousand pirate club members, you know, signed up one. Um, that's obviously going to result in, you know, twelve thousand. Um, and I know that's that's oversimplification on one hand, but it, but it's true. Uh, you know, if you if you uh, like Perry Hudson, I mean, and Perry Hudson. I know that's the tip of the iceberg in a positive way, but like he and Mark Meltzer, who's the award uh, for the chapter president is named after for the chapter president of the year i should say um you know mark uh, mark uh, meltzer and perry hudson they were signing up 100 plus so if you know someone that loves the pirates even if they didn't go to east carolina then you know encourage them to to join and explain to them uh, the benefits and if if there's any questions then i'd be glad to talk to them Um, definitely point them and in uh, our direction and have, have them email us at esportsobj at gmail.com or they can obviously just call the Pirate Club and Blaze Hudson, Danielle, and uh, and the terrific big guy, staff, the, the big guy
1: Matt Maloney and the terrific staff there. We'll be glad to talk to them. And Ryan Robinson again. We're going to have him on uh, next week. That's on Monday, right, Bubba, at 11? Uh, so uh, Yeah, we'll,
2: we'll have that on Monday, and then on Tuesday we'll have – a conversation with Donnie Kirkpatrick, uh, we'll catch up with DK for about 20 minutes and and talk about the quarterback battle and how things are how things are going on the offensive side uh, as we enter the summer months and
1: head into fall camp. And of course, Blake Carroll will have the defensive side of the ball. The defensive coordinator will have him uh, next week as well, right? That will actually be the that'll be the following week. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah that'll that'll be the following week. That's right. Uh, up on the screen right now, I want to remind people uh, another important thing. A lot going on at East Carolina. A very exciting time to be a. It's always exciting to be a pirate. What am I talking about? TeamBoneyard.org, and that's the NIL for ECU, the Collective. And Bubba, I I don't know if I told you, but I actually. I'm doing $50 a month. That's, I really, uh, that's about all I can do right now for uh, NIL. Um, But hey, uh, $50 a month is better than zero. Um, But, you know, some people don't agree with the whole NIL thing. That's okay. You can give to the Pirate Club. Or maybe you want to give the facilities for, uh, for Pirates Unite. But there's others that get it that if we want to win football games, if you want to win championships, at East Carolina, then you better go to teamboneyard.org. That's where it's at. That's where the juice is at. I'm excited to see buildings go up. That's fantastic. We've been behind for way too long. Thank God for this administration for recognizing the needs and making this stuff happen for the fundraising. But I'm going to tell you something. I've talked to Bubba. I've talked to uh, a few close players that are uh, younger um, that I know uh, personally. And they told me that the team the NIL, um, that's what we need to do uh, if we want to be successful. The other stuff is great, but the juice is with team Yeah,
2: definitely. Um, you know, Like you said, I think the biggest takeaway from that is, you know, however you, you know, feel led to give, you know, whether that's the Pirate Club, Pirates right. Unite, or uh, Team Boneyard and the, uh, the name image and likeness collective, um, for East Carolina,
1: whether it's one or a combination of two or three of those. Exactly. We're doing all we can do. And, uh, don't forget to watch our show on YouTube and Facebook, like, follow, comment, subscribe. Um, appreciate, uh, Bubba. I can't tell you the number of people in Charlottesville. I had at least a handful of people that came up to me thanking us for all the, the coverage and uh, told us to uh, keep up the good work. Uh, we have a lot of people that are here tonight and uh, folks that are uh, listening on that long drive. We we want to tell you how much uh, we appreciate you over five years, over 900 episodes. Uh, eventually, we'll get to that 1,000 mark, right, Bubba? Yeah, you talk about folks in Charlottesville. Um, I guess it was prior to that game
2: against Oklahoma. Um, and Trey Savage was warming up in the bullpen and – you know, I was getting a little short video clip for social media, and um, I had a gentleman walk up to me. He, he was had a big smile on his face and was laughing. He said, "He said, hey, he said, he said I beat you. He said I got the video before you did." And was, he said, "Nah, he said I'm just kidding you." He said, "But uh, he, he said we we appreciate the the coverage that you're providing, and uh, and of course I thanked him for tuning in, but." yeah that that's very very humbling you know when when a pirate fan stops you at a game like that and is, makes makes you you know uh, appreciate you know what what we do and that um, it's glad to know that uh, our hard work um is appreciated by pirate Nation because that's
1: obviously why we do it no doubt we t- we started this uh March first of 2018, and uh that was the whole point is to have a show. Uh, the very first uh, podcast, Bubba. As you know, you've been there with us, um, pretty much. You were in the second month, um, but you've been with us basically the entire time. And uh, all your hard work does not go unnoticed. I appreciate it very, very much. As uh, the graphics that, if you're watching, uh, obviously all the stuff uploading, we work uh, hard on. Uh, we we take great pride in the different platforms because there's a lot of people that maybe they're a fan of Google or Spotify or TuneIn or Apple or whatever the case may be, Stitcher. Um, there's a lot of different uh, podcast players, and so we appreciate that very much. We appreciate Steve Cotton, of course, the play-by-play voice of Marshall Thundering Heard, and, of course, Adam Witten, the play-by-play voice of the Appalachian State Mountaineers. And, Bubba, it's been a pleasure. I'm looking forward to a lot of fun this fall with the Pirate Football. And do you have anything before we go?
2: No, just make sure you subscribe on, on YouTube. Um, in, in addition to the, the content, we've already mentioned excellent conversation. Uh, for those who, who love pirate baseball, uh, caught up with Trey Daly, general manager of the oh, Dirt Bags, uh, have also dropped several shorts, highlighting uh, each of those members of the 2023 signing class who are um, going to be on campus shortly, if not already, um, go, and going through. July, right? yeah going going through um summer school and um getting used to division 1 college baseball and uh, you know preparing preparing for that mission week that will take place in the fall which is always so challenging but um then in, in addition to that and just uh, you know just also um also just you know re- really appreciate Really appreciate um, Trey coming on to spend over a half hour with us, highlighting each of those players. Um, The 2024 class was also discussed. And so, you know, watch the entire episode, or if you want to hear his comments directly uh, about each one of those signees or, or commits in the case of the 2024 class, just go to our shorts, and they're
1: some of the most recent shorts uploaded. It's going to be a lot of fun. I uh, cannot wait. Trey Daly did a great job. I enjoyed that Bubba very much. Speaking of a commute, I actually listened to that myself, uh, getting ready the other morning and then finishing it up as I was driving to uh, work in Greenville. So thank you very much again to everybody. Appreciate. Uh, I know that Matt is celebrating his, by the way, I want to give a shout out chase, a future pirate. Bubba, it's his birthday, 14 years young, and he's a great uh, athlete. And we have on the screen. Thanks to Bubba, the great graphic. Happy birthday, Chase. So before I forget, I wanted to uh, say hello to him and happy birthday, my friend. And uh, I want you and Avery to go to East Carolina to have legacy recruits, just like our kids, Bubba and I, um, to go to East Carolina. So I hope that both of uh, Matt's kids and Chrissy, I hope, I know she wants them to go to Florida, tongue in cheek. That's where she went to school. Matt, of course, great linebacker under the Logan era. He wants them to go to East ECU. So happy birthday to Chase. All right. So we'll get out of here. Thank you so much as always. Appreciate you Bubba for all your hard work behind the show, uh, behind the show, behind the scenes. I'll get a little bit tired. We'll get out of here. Good night, everybody. And as always go pirates. My
4: Put your hands up that a team know that we got they back. This is our house, this is our town, our top, everyone got copy that. Everybody gonna see us go good and little speed that but don't hold back. Heavy foot, every yard, every first down, every touchdown with the cannons blast. Get it on, get it all, get the wave going like a hurricane, y'all.